from sunny Palm Springs, California. You're listening to Chomp. Hello, Chompers, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Desert Suns Food and Spirit Podcast. My name is Everett Cook, your host, and today we have on one of my favorite people in the Coachella Valley. Her name is Chrissy Porter, and she runs Hidden Harvest, a nonprofit that has changed the lives of thousands, if not tens of thousands of people here in the Coachella Valley. What they do essentially is pay skilled farm workers a livable wage to go into fields and pick crops that would otherwise be plowed under or generally wasted. And then the organization then gives that produce to other food pantries and senior centers and basically just places that where people need fresh produce that can't afford it. People just go, you're kidding, it's free? Not, it's not free for everybody, but I mean, people who say things like, I haven't had fresh tomatoes in years, or I can't afford um, fresh carrots or onions, or, you know, they'll just tell you stories of, well, I go to the grocery, and um, I pick it up, and I look at it, and I put it back on the shelf, because I know I can't afford it, so, because produce costs more than meat these days, so it's a lot more fun than giving away meat. Christy has been doing this work for a long time. She's an amazing person, and she knows a lot about the agricultural business here in the Valley. So we will be talking to her today. And uh, before we start the interview, just a quick programming note. If I sound stuffy to you, it's because I'm the only person who can pick up a cold when it's 110 degrees outside. But I can assure you that on the interview, I sound just fine. So without further ado, here's Christy Porter. So I've heard this story a couple times, uh, but it still it still gives me goosebumps. Uh, the story of how you started this and how you learned about this issue from a farmer. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can just tell us that story. Well, when I first uh, came to the Coachella Valley, I was building um, raised bed gardens in kids' schools, and they were. There was one raised bed per classroom, so there were 52, no, 42 classrooms in this one school that I was working with. So I had parents helping me on the weekends. They were, you know, hammering and building the boxes. And one of the parents was a farm worker, and he said to me, uh, tell me something. Um, I don't understand why in America you would plow food under rather than let hungry people have it. He said, my wife and I both work in the fields every day, and we're not even allowed to take so much as a strawberry home in our pockets. And at night, as we leave, or early in the morning, we see those fields being plowed under, and there's lots and lots and lots of healthy food left. He said, my kids sometimes go without enough food, or my wife and I skip meals in order that my kids can have enough to eat during you know, during the times when school meals aren't available to them. He said, I just don't get it. Why why doesn't somebody get that food and let people who need it have it? He said, what it tells me is my family and I are not worth your garbage. And I didn't have an answer for that. I don't know why that is. I mean, I'm familiar. I was familiar with the concept of gleaning. Of, uh, now we call it produce rescue. I mean, the Book of Ruth, lots about gleaning, 
the Iliad, lots about gleaning, both documents that I've read many times. So I just told him I don't know the answer to that, why there's never been a successful effort to get this waste, this produce and save it from the plow, but I'll try to find out. So I did. That was 14 years ago, 15 years ago? Almost 15. Okay. Almost 15. So what, were, what was that first year like? Because now you're established here and you've, you know, pretty much every organization in the Valley knows who you guys are. But when you were first starting, what was the, how did you go about figuring this out? Well, I just figured the people to talk to would be the farmers. And so it took a little bit because I didn't know any farmers at that time. No, I know them all, but I didn't know anybody. So I started asking everybody I did know, who do you know that farms here? And finally, I just got led to the right people. And one of my uh, board members is Mark Nickerson, who's the managing partner of Primetime International. And he's been on the board since the start. And I, I made an appointment with him through a mutual friend. I went to visit him, and I said, why has there never been, I mean, I did a little research, why has there never been successful gleaning program uh, in the Coachella Valley with all the agriculture that we have, nearly a billion dollars worth of agriculture a year? Well, um, liability is the first answer to that, is that people can get hurt in the fields. We, you know, we have deep pockets. People like to sue. And I said, well, what if I could cover your liability? He said, well, you'd have to do that before you'd get a chance to glean. So the first thing I had to do was raise the money for liability insurance. So we cover each one of our participating growers with $2 million of liability insurance. And when we add a new grower, we add them to the, the rider or the cert for the insurance. And then he said the second thing would be that to understand and help the public understand that farm labor is not mindless activity. I've noticed that each crop has a different implement to harvest it with. A different, there's a romaine knife, and there's a fennel knife, and there's a broccoli knife, and a watermelon knife to check it. There's a little fork on the end to check for uh, ripeness and all of that. So he said, um, we really don't want Rotarians and Girl Scouts out in our field. And it's worked perfectly. That was the idea in the first place, that we had a, a deep respect for farm labor, for the heart, the soul, <laughs> the heat resistance it takes to harvest uh, vegetables and fruits in the Coachella Valley. So we wanted to pay people a living wage for their efforts. We're the only people, I can brag, we're the only organization in the country that pays their field gleaners. That's why we can average a million pounds a year, because we're paying people who know how to do it. So that was the second thing I needed to raise money for to pay the laborers. In the beginning, that was the hardest part to raise, because everybody thought, well, we'll work for food. You know, a little cardboard sign by the side of the road. But really, how much broccoli can you use? Uh, that's what I always use as that example is, if we're harvesting broccoli and you only pay people in broccoli, really. How much broccoli can you use? Your kids can't wear it and doesn't go in the gas tank. Well, and you can't pay your bills you with broccoli. Bills. And, and you can only eat so much of it, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so the hardest money in the beginning was trying to raise the, the wage money. But now it's the easiest because we've done a lot of talking and shown people a lot of pictures. And with extremely hot weather like this, I don't think anybody would argue that it's really hard work and be out there in the fields people ought to it's very honest labor people ought to be paid for their work yeah yeah I was going to ask you about that how the fundraising is 
sort of change because I do feel like we're the area we live in is very unique in the sense that there are a ton of people with money here and there's also a ton of crops being grown here and so I wonder if in the beginning a lot of it was kind of just educating people and sort of saying this is actually what's happening these people are these crops are just getting wasted and these people are starving and I mean was that sort of part of it? Well, for sure, the the thing that has made uh, fundraising possible for us is the waste issue. People hate waste. We have an older demographic. The people with money, the snowbirds mostly too, are a little older demographic, so they might not have um, they might not remember the depression, but they've heard their parents talk about it. They might not remember Victory Gardens, but they understand the concept that people hate waste. So one of the things we've been able to tap into. Uh, on the fundraising side is, you know, we always say uh, we're rescuing <laughs> rescuing produce from an early grave and giving it a new life on the plates of the poor. Um, so that's just a sales pitch, but it, it, but it kind of works, and people hate it. When you tell them that nationwide, still, there's an average of about 27% of crop waste. Now, getting to it is a harder thing. Persuading farmers to let you have access to it, even persuading them to admit that it's there. And not every crop is 27%, but it's an average. But sometimes there are whole crops, 40 acres of something, broccoli, cauliflower. They call it a walk-by. It's just the either the price has fallen too low or Mexico's uh, competing with us to the point where it doesn't pay them to pick it or maybe it got sun-blasted or wind-blasted and it's cosmetically imperfect. They'll just leave it. But my challenge is getting them to leave it long enough for me to get it out. Right. It'd take a day or two. Right. On a day like today when it's 110 degrees, if you turn the water off for two days, there's no chance that that crop will still be good. Sure. And you touched on this a little bit, but the important distinction with your what you're doing is that it's not just anybody out in the fields. It's people who are very much trained to do this, and they're, and they're people getting paid a fair wage to do something skilled. And that's a very... That's an important distinction, right? That well, that is that's the most important part to me. It's equally important to the fact that uh, people who otherwise couldn't afford fresh local produce are getting. It. I mean, we can compete. Our produce is as good as Whole Foods and Bristol Farms. I, you know, they're they're good to us. But I would say our produce is. It, sometimes we are delivering produce to uh, agencies that serve the hungry and the needy that's only been picked 24 hours. I mean, you can't say that of any grocery store in the Valley. So uh, that's a big issue for us, for sure. What are you up to in terms of how many pounds of produce you're saving a year and then how much you're donating? I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, donating. I mean, our business model is pretty funky. Uh, everything is free. <laughs> so far, it's work. We're still alive, but barely sometimes. Um, we're over the 15 million mar- pound mark now so in almost 15 years we've averaged about a million pounds a year and it's not all gleaned from I mean that's pretty spectacular when that you say so much produce. that's a lot of produce and you know I don't know I think we're at about 60 or 65 different varieties I mean this valley grows over 200 kinds of produce yeah. so there's a lot out there uh, but we also do a lot of rescue from packing houses now we've made uh, relationships with the growers and the packing houses have a lot of produce sitting in it 
And if you think about it, that's refrigerated real estate in the desert. So they need to make the most of that sure. packing house. So when something's not selling or somebody didn't pick up their order, they call us and we come and get it out so that it frees up their cold space. Yeah. So we do a lot of packing house rescue too. And I have to imagine those relationships are uh, a little more solid now than maybe they were 15 years ago. I just think the, the food rescue system in this country has changed a lot. I think back when I was a kid, if you sort of went to a food, you know, I used to volunteer food banks or whatever, and it was expired cereal and, yeah. you know, right. candy bars. And now it's, it's, I mean, you can eat very well at a, at a food pantry now. Well, if that had been the case uh, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have needed Hidden Harvest. So sure. I, that's why I did it, was I thought the emergency food system here is uh, not very good. And there are a lot, a lot of needy people. And it is a screaming, paradoxical, I hate irony, that the people here that needed it the most were the people that harvested it, but they can't get to it. But we have an excellent emergency food system in the desert now, and we are really happy to be partners with Find, you know, our food bank, the Feeding America affiliate, and we have an agreement with a joint grantor that we get a million pounds of produce to find every year for them to distribute through our network. So you're right that it used to be the quality of emergency food was very poor. But the nation is catching up with us. Yeah. And, uh, Mrs. Obama's moved the ball further down the field, and uh, waste is a big issue now. Just recognizing waste, trying to uh, uh, appreciate that uh, the American consumer is very picky about the cosmetics of produce, but there's an ugly produce movement now that people are really recognizing that same quality, cheaper. You know, if we're gonna, there's all the talk about the drought, of course, and the uh, famous every almond and a gallon of water and all of that. So even more reason to be gleaning and rescuing produce. If we're going to spend the water, so to speak, on that, the more produce that we go to that goes to waste is more water that goes to waste. Yeah. So I think now's the time. I mean, all this ugly produce business may put me out of business. A lot of people will, be, will save a lot of produce in the, in the bargain. This might be an obvious question, but I'm wondering if your job has gotten easier or harder in the last seven years because sort of all the things that you just said I have to believe that farmers are being a little bit more careful about what food they're harvesting not just because of the drought or because of anything but just because crops that are going under is money wasted for everybody and not just you know it's it's the whole system and so I'm wondering how that's changed your organization. Things have gotten much more difficult um, I still think there's probably the same amount of produce left okay. or maybe a little bit less but since the recession, farmers are selling more and more of their product. There's a, a movement um, among the Food Bank Association in California to rescue, uh, to pay uh, some farmers for their culls now, eight cents, ten cents on the dollar. It's not that much, but they're able to do that. So that's produce that we used to get for free. Now the number one place, uh, maybe we discussed this before, but the number one place for low-income people who can spend a little money to get their produce is, are the 99-cent type stores. When I first started, the 99-cent store maybe had a 12-foot a cooler section, and there were these you know, dried-up old lemons and moldy <laughs> potatoes. Now, I mean, the 99-cent stores have made you know, 100-foot or more produce sections. And you can buy 
all the, all the coals, the seconds and the thirds from farmers, the 99 cent stores buying them and they're packaging them up and they're very affordable and they're still very healthy. So that's a very good thing for um, lower income people, for anybody to get healthy local produce. It's just not a very good thing if you're rescuing it and giving it away to people who can't afford it themselves. So has your has the amount of farms that you've been able to do business with decreased or is it the amount of produce you're getting from those farms? That's a good question. We still do the amount of business, same. I mean, with the same people, just a lot less, okay. not a lot less. They're selling more. Um, and then there's just secondary markets. There's the salad market. The bag salad market is really big. Things that you can't see the flaws in the romaine lettuce. You can't see the things that you could see before. Or the ketchup or chutney, those kinds, or the juice uh, business, you know, the smoothies and juices are very big now. So you those grind up and you don't ever see what's on those. You could put a bruised whatever. No, yeah. it doesn't make a bit of difference. So those things. So I'm um, I still know that there's wasted produce out there. My am I just an uh, you know evangelical about talking about it and trying to get the farmers to let us have access to it. But um, I do a lot of talking. Yeah. A lot of begging. Yeah. And this might be a tough question, but I. Uh, Part of me wonders if you're happy that it's become harder because, like you said, the fact that there is more produce in these dollar cents, you know, these 99 cent stores is better for people who can't afford that. And so in some ways, what you've done at Hidden Harvest was ahead of the curve, and now the curve is kind of catching up, right? I think that's exactly true, and, and you know, the... The good me, goofus and gallant, gallant thinks, well, that's a great thing. People eating healthier food, people eating food closer to home, people possibly getting to know who actually grew their food, and it doesn't have a sticker that says Peru on the bottom right. of it. No offense to Peru. <laughs> but um, but it's, in some ways, it's a, it, it's a really good thing. Um, on the other hand, you know, I know that... I, Damn it! I know the produce is still left in the field. So why are we doing that? Why can't we get to it? Why can't we leave the water on for one more day? These are wages people need. The food is out there. So that I, both things are true. Okay. But I'm happy for that part. I mean, I'm really happy. How fantastic for you know, low income, lower wage worker families go in with their kids and they can buy bags and bags of apples and oranges and radishes and broccoli for you know, 15 or 20 cents on the dollar. That's fantastic. That's a good thing. Yeah. So you've been at this for 15 years. <laughs> Had I known. <laughs> Had I known, I wouldn't have done this probably if it was going to get this big and last this long. But we can't see in the future, right? Yeah, I mean, did you expect this to kind of be your, uh, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, is this sort of your, I mean, this has been a, this has been a huge part of your life for 15 years, and that's a long time. Is this, I mean, did you ever, when you first, when this farmer first said, this is the problem, and you said, I don't have an answer for you, and I'm going to try and figure it out, is this what you had in mind? Yes, okay. it is. It's what I had in mind. I also had in mind that we would have a valley-wide movement of people who wanted to grow their own food and community garden plots and things like that, but I couldn't be an evangelist for both things at the same yeah. time. I've tried that off and on, and I still may go back to that at some point. But um, 
I never expected it to get this big. We've tried a lot of different things, citrus rescue and all these different things. But if I could just get access to, oh, just 10% more produce in the course of a year, it would just make all the difference. It would just, it would, it would just be a lot easier because now it is such a struggle to get enough. I mean, like I said, the recession probably knocked off 40, 50% of the access to produce, but it increased the demand by about 60%. And that's, those are numbers that haven't changed. We haven't gotten more. We've had to work harder to get, this, to get the same amount of produce, but we've had more and more and more people wanting produce. People are calling all the time, can you bring produce to our place, our school, our senior center, our something. And, you know, you have to make these decisions about whether or not, you know, are you going to keep serving the same people over and over, or are you going to loaves and fishes it, cut it in smaller portions right. and spread it out? And we just keep showing up. I mean, that's our motto is we show up. They just keep coming back. We have senior markets where we go to the same places, um, seven different markets. We're expanding two more in the in the fall. So seven different markets, twice a month, the same place, then low-income seniors come and they sort of shop. They go down the aisles of produce and they pick what they want and it's always free. And we have 30 more senior markets in the waiting, people who've asked to have senior markets. 30? 30. We don't have enough produce for that. You would think, I mean, this is a billion-dollar produce industry. Well, there's some turf in there, but anyway, a billion-dollar ag industry. And if even if the average waste was 10%, look how much that would be. But getting to it, I mean, the farmers are busy. They don't want to wait. Um, the heat, though it's not the water that costs so much, it's the electricity to pump the water oh. out. So when we're asking them to keep the water on, it does cost money, even if just for overnight. Right, because you can't, because they're done with something and then you can't get 20 people over there in 10 I, minutes. I like can't it takes get a crew together, no. And a lot of time what I'm doing is rehiring the crew that just left. So I'll, if the best way for me is to is to rehire the crew that was just in there. When we started out, it was the poorest of the poor that really needed the work that we hired. But waiting around, they didn't have phones, and they didn't have cars, sure, and sure. we used our van and picked them up and all of that. But if our real goal was getting the healthy food out of the field and getting it to, on people's plates, the fastest way was to hire the crew that was just in there. So that's most of the time what we do. Okay. I guess I'm wondering then what, what the perfect situation of this looks like. I mean, is it ever realistic enough to have this organization be big enough where you could just have on call like that where you could get them there in a half hour or you can I mean I guess what what's the perfect scenario where you're not wasting as much as we are well I, I don't know I mean that's hard I mean that's hard it is because we've thought of everything in 15 years we've had many 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 strategy sessions and people all the time say well have you ever thought of blah 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 oh yeah we've <laughs> thought of it not to be a smarty pants but yes in 15 years we've thought of it um, the problem is because we pay by the hour, we can't, you can't, we can't have a dedicated crew that's just ours because we don't pay enough. They have to have other work sure. in, the, in the interim. So that's, we, that's why we pay more than the farmer. 
and you know if it should rain I mean, it's a desert but it sometimes does rain or if something happens and we have to leave the field we always pay them for five hours no matter how long they've been there if they've just gotten there we still pay them because they took their money and their time and their gas and all of that to get there so we try to make it as equitable as possible but there's not a way that we could have a dedicated crew and we say don't go to work today there's a right. farm labor shortage and fewer and fewer uh, laborers are coming up from you know central america so they need to make sure that they keep the job that they have and then working for us is gravy it's gas money or school clothes or something like that for them but because we don't hire every day there's not a field to pick every day so we alternate between packing houses and fields and then delivering all this produce to where people people don't come all the way to us we deliver it to people to agencies and things like that how do you keep doing this, <laughs> this is I mean, I, I've known you for as, pretty much as long as I've been working here, and so I know how hard this is for you, not just time-wise or mentally, but also physically. I mean, this is, this is a really hard thing that you do, and I guess I'm wondering how you keep trucking. What do you, what makes you keep going? Um, I'm fortunate to have great people to work with, so when I get down, and I do, um, Sandra and Marge and Francisco and Arnie are, we're only four and a half people at Hidden Harvest. So I have great people to work with. I really believe in what we do. It's a, I mean, I was a newspaper photographer for years and years before this. So it's a beautiful thing to look at and see. It's a beautiful thing to be out in the fields at dawn. It's a beautiful thing to see all the you know, the shorebirds that are on their way to the salt and sea that fly over and look at you while you're in the artichoke field. It's a, it's a real privilege. I'm not kidding. It is hard. <laughs> it is hard. And you're get, I know, I'm getting older and my knees and back are worn out. So um, you just got to believe it's a good thing. And if I didn't think it was still possible and I thought it was a worthy thing to be doing with my life until I'm not doing it anymore, I wouldn't be. But I sure would like to have more produce. It would put a smile on his old face. <laughs> Chomp is a Desert Sun production. Our team includes myself, Ashley Hopkinson, and Sarah Day Owen. If you're a farmer, Christy would love to hear from you, but even if you're not, you can always reach out at hiddenharvest.org to see how you can help. Thanks again to Christy for the time, and thanks to you for listening. If you like our show, or even if you hate our show, we should talk. I'm on Twitter, at EverCook, so that's E-V-E-R-E-T-T-C-O-O-K, or by email, everett.cook at desertsun.com. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>